Welcome to the Your Next Best Step podcast, where it's all about real experiences, real lessons, real hurdles, and everything in between. I'm Teresa Cantley, and I'm bringing you over 20 years experience in business, leadership, and marketing to help you shift out of your corporate thinking and into being an entrepreneur so you can maximize your results, build and empower your team, and make a bigger impact. It's time to turn your ideas into innovation, and that's only the beginning. So let's get started. This episode is going to absolutely blow your mind. It totally blew my mind. Hello there, friends. It's Teresa Cantley, host of the Your Next Best Step podcast, and I'm so glad that you're joining me for this episode, episode number 81. And I have another guest on, um, Anthony Trucks. And I discovered Anthony. I was at a an event through for Brendan Bouchard back in 2017 for his High Performance Academy. It was a live event. And this man walks up on the stage and I was like this very handsome man. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I listened to his story and I listened to what he had to say about things that he's been through and his triumphs and facing so much adversity and just really using that adversity to move forward. And it's just absolutely just a very inspiring episode. And talking about resilience, I mean, we talked about resilience last week in last week's episode, and then we're talking about it again in this week's episode. But I was just through this whole entire episode, first of all, it's the first one I've ever done with somebody that I didn't know. And I was like sweating (laughs) and I was so nervous. But he's just such a kind caring, warm individual, very casual, very just, you know, easy to talk to. And which for me was great. I mean, I can talk to anybody, but I was just, I was so nervous. Um, It was a great conversation. So I can't wait for you to listen. And I would love for you to leave me some feedback and a comment and let me know what you thought of this episode, what helped you the most, what was your biggest takeaway, and believe me, there are so many gold nuggets and like words of wisdom dropped in this episode that you are absolutely going to, I mean, you're going to be, I was taking notes, I was writing quotes down, I was, it was unbelievable. So without further ado, here is this week's episode with Anthony Trucks. Enjoy. Well, thank you for joining me and thank you everyone for joining me again for another episode of the Your Next Best Step podcast. Today, joining me, I am so grateful and so blessed um, and praying my network stays strong here, (laughs) but I have Anthony Trucks joining me. Um, Thank you so much, Um, Anthony. I I first found out about Anthony back in... in, um, 2017, I went to High Performance Academy. I drug my husband there with me. And um, I remember seeing you on the stage and um, you talked about your story, which we are going to get into a little bit. And I just was like so inspired and so um, just like, oh my gosh, and started following you, you know, on social media. And I just absolutely love your content, um, which is why I reached out and I was like, hey, would you be a guest on my podcast? Because I really think that my um, my audience would love to hear your story and hear um, about what you do because I shared the philosophy with you um, that 
the adversity that we go through and the challenges create, um, as long as we're willing to get through them and we're willing to keep going, can create the biggest innovations and the best gifts in, in our lives. So, so anyway, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm uh, looking forward to chatting and answer whatever questions you have. <laughs> well, I'm going to let you do a lot of the talking. So I, I, I want to hear what you have to say. All right. Um, so tell us, tell us a little bit about your background and a little bit about um, what you do. Yeah. Yeah. So the world of what I do, uh, I help people upgrade how they operate so they can uh, honestly achieve their biggest, greatest, grandest goals, like their full potential in life. I work in identity and essentially identity is who you are when you're not thinking about who you are, when you're kind of in flow, which is you're operating. How you operate determines your performance and performance determines your success. Like if you think about Tom Brady, like they don't say he's out of performing in the field, but like, no, he's operating on the field right now. And that determines your performance, which gets you the results you want in life. So I go back to the core, which is who you are when you're in flow. And it happened because more of like a, I think life just threw it at me. It wasn't a choice. It wasn't like I decided one day, like, ah, that's what I'm going to do. Life kind of was like, Hey son, <laughs> this is what I'm going to do for your life. And then like, when you figure out this, what you're supposed to do, it's going to be great. And I finally figured it out. So it goes back to me years and years ago, uh, just three years older to figure out who in the world I was. Uh, I was given away into foster care at three years old. So my first realm of identity experience is like, who am I? Where do I fit? Why don't I matter? And I'm not the first person to experience that. There's people probably feeling that right now in the world. And, and for me, that was where it started. And then I bounced around from house to house, ended up in a family, which is my family now, is the only black person in a really poor all-white family. So I was like, who am I? Where do I fit even more? My real mom's in the background making life very difficult. Eventually, uh, eight years later, after 11 years in the system, got adopted into the family really to figure out again, who was I? Cause then I am now the adopted kid. Uh, I'm the football player who sucks. My mom is sick. You know, it's just this weird dynamics of life that we all run into. It just, this is my own, my personal experience with it. Right. And then it, you know, a couple of years of sucking at football, wanting to give it up. Cause when you try something for a while, you really love, but you're really bad. You're like, ah, I don't want to feel this way anymore. So you find ways to, to walk away from it. So I did that. And thankfully I, I had this moment where somebody had spoke out loud the excuse that I was using to, to quit. And it really sounded horrible when I heard it with my own ears. And I snapped out of it. I decided like, that's not gonna be who I am. And so I, I kind of made this internal shift of perspective and started working differently. And you know, fast forward a year, I showed up to football as a monster, faster, stronger, but I'm also way more confident. I had created through the time I'd spent lifting and running and moving, I created a more confident, bolder person who would not take anything less than what I deserved. And far too little people do this in life. There's a statement that I love, which is what you create, creates you. Mm, not enough I people, like that. People try, like they'll, they'll try things, but to create means I went through a process and finalized it. I created this thing. And it's an ugly process for anything that you create. I don't care if you're creating um, a, you know, a sculpture, you're going to create a better body, you're going to create a better marriage. That process, man, it's just, it's ugly. But in the back end of it, you are somebody different. So every successful person in the world is like, you know what? I was different back then. It's not who I am anymore kind of thing. Because they've all made an identity shift. They've all done this. They just didn't know or it took longer. Or it was harder for them. And uh -huh. so for me to learn that, it allowed me to be get a college football scholarship. I you know, went to college, had my first son at 20 years old my sophomore year, which I do not recommend people do. Wow. Uh, <laughs> dad. After, That's okay. I was married for the first time at 21. So. <laughs> oh, look at you. Similar. I think we were married at 22. 21, 22, I want to say, because at 18, 19, I think 22-ish I got married. 
And then I, you know, then I have, you know, I'm in the NFL. So I spent a few years in NFL three, get hurt in my third, come home, have a couple more kids break my life. Cause anytime you've given all of your all towards building something and it's taken from you, you don't know who you are. You call uh-huh. my right? So whether you've sent your kids off to college, you've lost a job, you've lost a loved one, um, you've lost a relationship, you left the military or sports, whatever it is, there's always a sense of like, what do I do now? Who am I? Yeah. This? And that can be heavy for people. For me, it was very heavy. For most people, it's very, very heavy, hard to deal with. And, and I had like a really difficult experience with it and ended up, you know, getting this point where I lost my family. I lost my, my kids. I just lost a lot of stuff. Not going to do anything bad, but just wasn't in a good space internally. And it took me years. And unfortunately, my mom passing away for me to snap out of it a little bit and start figuring out like, what in the world am I supposed to do with all this craziness of my life? These different identities I've had to navigate and shift through the ups, the downs. Like, how do I get to the point where I, I am the person who has the things I want? Because when I started studying like successful people, like a lot of them didn't have the tools. They were broke, didn't have access to stuff, but they all seemed, they seemed to make it. I'm like, how do these people do it? And when you look at the core of it, every single one of them, they've left these little breadcrumb clues where the statements are like, I just, I started thinking differently or I would do things differently or I, I felt like a different person or I, whatever it was. And I was like, man, that's not just this, I applied this strategy or I read this book. It's a that's not who I am anymore. I am now this person. I was like, dang, like inside that depth is the identity aspect. So, you know, we're running about way and some, some interesting people kind of nudging me. I ventured into identity to figure out how that could potentially be the thing that connected success. And that was one of the things that, that I found out later, but I had to experience it my first and myself first. And so I ended up, you know, fixing my marriage. Um, so, I'm, you know, we were divorced for three years, got remarried ended up becoming a present father. I'm in better shape. I'm a better human being. I have a great business. Like things are going well. And I figured like, that's now the time to go back and teach this stuff because I've crossed that finish. So now when I go back, my true goal is I want to be able to have my mom's memory live on through me. She unconditionally loved me past crazy to help me not become a statistic because any prison in America, 75% of the, the, you know, the inmates are former foster kids mm-hmm. plus percent of the, the homes population are former foster kids. Listen, 1% of us will graduate from college. So I'm not set up to do well, but this woman unconditionally loved me. So for me in the world of what I do, I carry her memory on by unconditionally loving people through the work I do. What I share social media podcasts like this with you, like yeah. just because <laughs> if I, if I can do that, then I'll be able to leave this planet in a, a completely different position than when I came in, which was when I came in, I, my own mom wanted me. I, I didn't matter. And now because of like, whether it's football or American Ninja Warrior on TV shows or speaking, like I get to leave this impact through my adoptive mom that allows me to possibly leave this place with a greater impact on the world than when I came in. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. I have, um, it's so powerful. I'm, I'm listening to you because I've, I've heard you tell the story about um, your adoptive mom and, you know, all the things that she did for you. And, um, you know, that was really like your motivation and your drive to to really take that adversity that you were given and that in, and everything in your life and really change it around. And that's just like so powerful. And um, and the impact that you want to make on this world. I mean, I think one of the biggest things that people I know for myself, I struggled with this. And didn't really even know that the identity that I identified myself with or or the stories that I was telling in my head is what was holding me back. And I was just kind of going about life and going about, you know, things. And then I became an entrepreneur 
And it was like, I had to unlearn everything that I knew about myself and relearn, you know, what, like just who I really was at my mm-hmm. core. And, um, it's, it really does. I, I, I read something that, um, on, when I did some research on you on your website where you talk about, you know, there's a lot of people out there, a lot of life coaches that talk about thinking positive. You just need to think positive. And there's actually, you know, when you're going to make a transformation, it's just, it's not just a, a, a shift in your mindset and starting to think positive. It actually is a lot deeper than that. Yeah, very much so. There's studies yeah. that show, there's a study done by, I believe it was Bing, um, was it Bing? George Washington University. I can't remember the doctor's name, but they actually did a study on entrepreneurs and figuring out they wanted to look at the self-categorization concept as well as identity in, in terms of like how it worked with mindset. What they found were individuals who, given the tools for mindset, the strategies, the tactics, affirmations, what to say, the only ones that actually succeeded were the ones that had a self-categorization as the entrepreneur. They were engineering students that were going to you know, become entrepreneurial. And if the person didn't internally digest and, and identify as like, I am an entrepreneur, the mindset never was useful. It was a waste of time. Because then you, what you have is you have this internal mental competition and resistance from the party that's like, no, I can do this. And the other part's like, yeah, but that's not who you are. And so because of that, for anybody, you always struggle and fall short. And so what happens is when that's going on, you can't operate. You can't be in a great flow. You can't perform well you never have success but your mindset could be great like I was a former NFL linebacker I had a phenomenal mindset you had a really good yeah you know like if that if it's just mindset then why am I why am I not the most successful person in the world well because we're human and if I come out and I don't I don't think I'm anything but the athlete I'm not going to succeed anywhere else unless it's by brute force then eventually things fall apart Mm -hmm. I have a question for you you talked about um you had a mindset and that's why, you know, in the beginning when you were talking about how you were terrible at football, I'm like, wait a minute. I read all the stats about you at Oregon yeah. the state. And so I'm like, they were good stats. There was, yeah. But in high school I was, I was horrible. I was, I didn't start playing football till I was 14, which means I was in fact about, man, I think it was like six years behind most of my peers. So imagine if you're going in and say you're going to play, I don't know, basketball and you just pick a basketball up and somebody else had a basketball for six years. Like imagine the difference in skill set. That's me mm-hmm. in football. Mm-hmm. So the first couple of years of me playing the game, like I was horrible because I was big and you know, taller and skinny and lanky and I didn't know what I was doing. And that was the big separator. And, and most people who, who start at 14, they don't typically make it to the NFL. Like that's, that's a, that's a rarity we'll call it. And so, yeah, that was kind of the intro for me. It was like, I did, I was, I was horrible. I sucked in the beginning. But there was a moment in time where I was like, I want I to do what a good football player does. And that's where it started out with, I'm going to lift weights and I'm going to run routes and I'm going to do hills and I'm going to, you know, go out here and, and just get in condition. I'm going to do these things because that's what great football players do. I wanted to, at the time, do what they did, which is really the start of the process. I want to do what they did. The problem is most people find out that it's very difficult to do what those people do. Mm-hmm. Especially when you got teammates and people that are like, hey, trucks, what are you doing lifting weights? You suck. Why are you in there, bro? You're just trying to, you're trying to get better at being horrible. You know, like that. These are the things you hear. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, hey. and so eventually most people are like, whatever. They walk away. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, I'm gonna figure it out. And it was through that process that, as an investment-based human, which every one of us is, when you invest, you want to return. And my investment, our investment in, in that next identity, is all that creation work, the ugly, dirty, going against the grain, 
doing things that feel so far out of our norm, but in doing that investment, the return you get is that's who I am. And now when it's who you are, you put yourself in such a vast different position because here's what it is. As humans, we will fight for what we believe we deserve, period. When I was in that football field the next year, I deserve to catch this ball. You don't deserve to stop me. I deserve to make this tackle. You don't deserve to tackle me. Like it was a bad, he's like, I deserve this. And you can't really have that unless you earned it in the dark prior to. Now, the thing for a lot of people is, yes, they will fight for what they deserve. But the problem is they, they've done such little work, they think they deserve stuff at such a far lower level. So they don't fight above that. So no wonder you don't get the job or fix a relationship or whatever, because you know in your heart, you didn't, you didn't create to create that person inside of you who felt they deserved more. So when you, you talked about um, in your, you know, when, when you were saying that you were terrible at football and somebody like kind of confronted you, confronted you and said, this is the excuse that you're making. And that was the thing that shifted for you. What was that thing that you were thinking and that they said, this is the excuse that you're using? Because I think people do this and I, you know, whether you want to call it fighting for your limitations or whether you want to call it like the belief that they have about themselves or, or you know, whatever. But what was that thought that you kept thinking and who, like, who was it that said something to you and how did that change you? Yeah, it was an interesting dynamic. So I was 15 years old. And as a foster kid, you don't think you deserve very much. You don't see any of them. Like, I don't, I don't, it's hard for me to even think of other foster kids I currently know doing successful things. So we all, when we're kids, and even back then, it was just me by myself. I didn't have other foster kids to talk to in groups and organizations. So I just, in my head, it was like, Aunt, this isn't what foster kids get. They don't get to have success. That's not your journey. Like that, in my head, there was this thought of like, you don't, you don't deserve that, man. What, you're just this foster kid. Your mom didn't love you, you know? And so that was the first conversation. When you start thinking that way, it starts to seed into a lot of stuff. And what happened was this girl, it was Mr. Howell's English class, 15 years old in the back right corner desk and a black park over my head. And some girl's talking to another girl and they don't know I'm listening. And one girl, and I remember this day, I wish I'd found their names out in some capacity. But she says, uh, well, the reason I'm so bad is because I'm in foster care. And it was this simple statement that was like, ooh, that sounds horrible. Like if that's, if that's the excuse that I'm going to end up using for the rest of my life to be a bad dad or a horrible husband, like that's a crappy excuse. And it was some weird seed that just essentially unsettled me. And it made me, I remember that day I went home and I looked myself in the mirror. And I was like, Anthony, you're going to be great. And I really had no idea what it meant. Genuinely had no, it just, I just was like, I'm going to be great. And I didn't know it what, but it was like at the time I knew football. So what do I do? Football. But that was the moment it was like, I got, I'm going to be great at something. I'm going to figure out what that something is, but I'm not going to live this life like she is making this excuse for a situation I had no control over. And that was the catalyst. It wasn't even spoken directly to me. It was all in like eavesdropping, to be honest. <laughs> well, you do have a quote um, that I did pull, which I think is so key in this conversation um, where I pulled it from your site. The key differentiator between successful people and unsuccessful people has less to do with luck and more to do with their identity and unknown identity gaps. So the question, we know we've been talking about identity. What's the identity gap? So the gap is simple. Uh, if you think about all the things that any of us want, and it's okay to say we want stuff. I, I say that in people, they don't like, momentarily actionably attached to it. So think about what you actually want. So say I want a car, or I want a bigger house, or I do want to be happy with my relationship, or 
want to be more confident when I walk into a room or to, you know, grab a room and speak well, be on a stage, whatever it is. There is a version of you that has that and does that. Period. There just is. If you were that person, you'd already have those things. It's logic. If I was the person who operated in the way to have that, I'd already have that. You have what you have in life right now because of how you've learned to operate your life. And again, that's the flow. It's, that's, that's how I have fortitude, like in emotional moments, how I execute my resiliency, like my consistency, how determined I am, how disciplined I am. Like those things are kind of instinctual, like I just kind of flow and they, the rest of my life happens. Now I can apply it in a conscious way, right? There's things I want to get done task-wise, but even in the ta- if I block an hour out, how I operate will determine if I start scrolling on Facebook or stay on task. You know, like those are ways you operate, even in a planned moment. Mm-hmm. Now the gap is the space between who you are now and all the things you have and the person who has all those things you want. There is an identity gap. And that identity gap is the gap between the flow of how you operate. And when you learn to upgrade how you operate as a human, you close that gap. But it happens from shifting into that next level identity, what I call the ideal identity for your dreams. Because right now, everybody, far too many people are operating so far below the level their dream demands. I want this up here but I operated at a level down here, always wanting this. And I'll buy the book and I'll buy the course and I'll get shelf esteem, which means I bought it. I feel a little bit of completion from just purchasing it, but I never consume it. I never apply it. I never like, learn from it and reapply, right? So I, I never get to that level. And so I don't operate at a high enough tick. And the truth is the reason some people have success without that same investment is because even with the little stuff they have, the lack of the information you have, they operate at a level that's at the level of their dreams. So they figure it out. They find backdoor ways. They, they you know, have connections. They make this weird system or process. They just, they trudge through it. But they're not special. They weren't born differently. They just essentially learned how to operate at a higher level. And when you can do that, everything becomes accessible to you. Wow. That's amazing. It's, it's like you have to be that person first you have to understand what it is that you want and then say okay this is who i am now and this is who this is what i want and the person that has these things this is how they are so it's you need to be that person first which i think a lot of people focus on and i know i I deal with this a lot working with people one-on-one business owners um where they think they need to see it first Mm-hmm. Into you know they need to to have these results first, and then they'll be this person. Yeah, it's it's a be backwards, and then they can't figure out why you know what they want. They're not getting it. It's actually moving further away. Yeah, because they're they're not in a position. If they do get it, they'll be lucky and they'll have no idea how they got it. And even then, when we talk about becoming that person. The interesting thing is there's a, what's called a hero's two journeys. There is that achievement we're trying to have, but then there's the it's a transformation that happens in a background. Some people, they achieve things, but never transform. They just kind of, you know, figured it out briefly and it kind of wasn't a conscious thought. And the way I, I talk to people like this isn't some, you know, esoteric philosophical thought about becoming the person I work towards it. Like the creation process is my main focus in my shift method that we put our clients through. And really it boils down to architecting who do you want to become clear? Like, who do you want to be? What is that person? There's six core drivers. How does this person operate in those areas? And then we say is, all right, 
well, what is the hard way to get there? And for us, it's an H-A-R-D process. We go through and we, we apply that to each of the six areas and then it, it synthesizes down to legitimately daily actions you do. Not just morning routines and evening routines, but I, le- I mean legit. What are your hour by hour throughout your day actions to create what you're trying to create and achieve? And then while you're doing it, you understand why you're going past the hard parts, why you get back up when you get knocked down. Like there's so many things ingrained within that simple process that by the time we're on the back end of a 90 day window, you are a different person. You are operating so vastly different, not just in your productivity because productivity, you can be productive and sucking. Like you could be productive (laughs) pointless. But for me, it's how do I get you to operate and handle emotional moments when they pop up? How do I get you to address certain situations, to step into scary spaces? How do I get you to optimize how you flow, to stay focused and not go off track, like to combat the decision to fatigue tank? Like there's certain little things within what we create that allow me to make what I'm talking about, the method, a tactical, actionable process that there isn't guesswork. We're not hoping you become this person. We are planning it, we're creating it, we're teaching you how to execute to turn into that person. Wow, that's awesome. And you said that's a six step framework, that six step process that you take people through. Is that- Those three steps, Those three very specific steps. Uh, okay. So shift sustains, it's called the shift method. Okay. So the method was designed from research and life and, and just tons of clients going through stuff to figure out what works and doesn't work with different goals. Because the thing is, is it can't be the same goal. And there's people that wanted to fix their marriage, wanted to be a pilot. There's people that wanted to uh, become travel agents. They wanted to be speakers. They wanted to um, start a business. Like there's so many vast different areas. And what we had to do is look at, okay, well, why haven't you got there yet? And most people say, oh, my mindset's weak or I have imposter syndrome or I don't have the resources. A ton of excuses we'll create. And then I ask them a question. I say, well, does the person who has all the stuff you say you want in life, does that excuse stop them? And you have to sit with it for a second. And that realize that simple realization is, oh, maybe not. Okay, well, then how do we get you to be more like that person? Because that excuse you're making is not an excuse they'd say. They wouldn't operate. Like I tell people, if your hero was to follow you around for a day, what would they say? Great job. You're killing it. Keep doing that same thing. Or would they look at you and be like, that's all you have in your schedule today? Yeah, you stink. <laughs> Let's be real. And so, so we do this stuff. We go through a C phase, a shit phase, a sustained phase. A C phase is figure out what you got to do. Simple as I can. There's a lot of depth to it. See what needs to be done. Shift. There's a specific process. We use a method to shift you into that ideal identity. But that is the work. And sustain. How do you sustain that over time? So not only do you never fall back downhill, but you continue to progress uphill. Because I mean, the thing is, is like I, I have great success, but I want more, but it doesn't mean I'm, I'm just, you know, just, uh, I want maybe it's like this, maybe I'm unhappy. I'm not unhappy with what I have now. Right. I'm not in a place of lack right now. I love what I have, but in my head, I'm like, man, if I can have more good stuff, why don't I have more good stuff? So when I look for the next thing, I'm not unhappy. I'm not, you know, uncontent or discontent with what I have in life. It's like, I want to enjoy what I have. Stop and smell the roses, spend time with the family but then create more for the family. But I realize the next level of what I want doesn't come to the next level of, of what I have or what I buy or really what I do, but it's the next level of who I am because that person will get those things. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, it's, you know, the, the, 
the law of the universe, like what you put out is what you get back. So yeah, when you're stepping into that and you're being that person and you, and you have that internal shift, you're going to draw those things towards you. Always do. And it happens through an act. Like it, it does take it a willful action to do it. You can't just sit. I'm not like, we're not sitting here in a chair one day and be like, all right, who are you? I am a fish. I can swim now. Like that's not, <laughs> that's not how it works. You know, it legitimately is a process where we sit back and say, okay, great. What does that person believe? What are their thoughts? What are their actions? What are their, their habits? What are their personal pride and beliefs? Like what are these things that run through them? And once you realize what those are, now it's like, all right, how do I get those? What must I do to get those? And some are daily actions, some are bold actions, some are conversations. There's different things. But the thing is really the reason we aren't operating at that level is we're not doing the actions to operate at that level. We'll do some things, but then what happens is some people will do work they think is the right work and they get burned out. And it's kind of like climbing a ladder, leaning against a building. You huff and puff and get to the top. You're drained at the top of the ladder and you look up and you go, oh man, leaned against the wrong building. Climb the wrong ladder. Yeah. Right? So it's like we start at the beginning and do some pretty difficult work to figure out what building do you need to lean your ladder against? Because then we can do it. That's a good metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. Simple. Yeah. I, um, I can say, you know, for myself, I've been through this. Um, I left corporate America, um, worked for some people who were a bit on the unethical side. And um, when I left corporate, you know, I thought, oh, I can do this. I, I was a director of marketing. I got this. And just when I first started my business, I worked and worked and worked and couldn't figure out why I was, I mean, I was burning out. I was tired. I was, and I felt like I built like a prison. <laughs> I felt like I, you know, I built this business. That was my dream. And on top of it, I was miserable. And, you know, um, it's, I had to do a lot of, like you said, you have to do a lot of the hard work and people don't, a lot of, a lot of people, when I first start working with them, they don't under, they think the hard work is working longer hours, you know, doing everything themselves. And that's not really the hard work. The hard work is, you know, that internal stuff. It's, it's putting yourself out in a platter for the world to chop up. Exactly. Yeah, man, it's, that's a good way of putting it, which is good because it leads into my next, um, my next question for you. I mean, you are definitely, I mean, I have this belief. I always have, um, you know, adversity, um, leads to innovation, adversity and diversity can lead to the biggest creations and innovations of our life. I mean, I had a severe brain injury, uh, and used learning systems and, um, you know, processes to re, you know, rehab myself and use that adversity to really propel myself forward. And one of the things that I just think is so amazing about you is that um, you have over overcome so much and you've helped other people to overcome um, so many things. And, you know, you, you have never based on what I've read about you and just in this conversation that we've been having and you had a post on um, Instagram, something that really like it impacted me so much, um, which I'll get to in a minute, but you have never let the opinions of others or what society thinks or, you know, any of that determine what you can and can't do. Yeah. I, what I'm hearing from you and reading your story and talking to you and just, all of the content, you know, and there were moments where, you know, you 
you had situations where you had to recognize, um, like when you were 15 and that girl was talking in, in, uh, that, uh, in the one class, you know, mm-hmm. that comment, like that was something that, that shifted for you. Um, but you always, you know, you never let society, um, or like I said, opinions of others dictate what, you know, your vision can and can't be. And with everything that's going on in the world and, you know, everything that happened with, you know, George Floyd and the social injustices in the world that have been happening, I remember, and, and people like, there was a time when it was kind of, you know, everything that was going on on social media and people like, you know, saying stuff and, and it just a lot of like, wow, you know, and I remember you had this post on. And when I watched it, like, I actually, like, started crying. I think I watched it, like, four times. And um, it was a post about, you know, no matter what the situation is, you have to handle it how you believe it should be handled. How, how what, basically, you do you. Mm-hmm. And, and as long as you're moving from a place of um, positive intention and good intention to make a difference in the world and make a positive impact in the world – you have to do what you feel is right and not let like if people might say, Oh, you need to do it this way or you need to handle it this way. But if that doesn't sit right with you, well then don't do it. And I just think that, I mean, that was a huge, I just, like I said, I just remember and I was like, I said to my husband, I said, Dennis, you got to watch this video. <laughs> I said, this is, you know, this is awesome. And um, I think you know, like I said, for, for me, that was such a powerful message because I think, you know, so often, whether it's just in, in your personal life or in business life, people want to do what everybody else is doing. Yeah. You got a bunch they, of people follow, they, they want to follow the trend or they want to, because they don't believe enough in their own conviction, um, which is something that my mentor, um, you know, always tells me, like, you have to have that conviction inside, you have to have that conviction and that courage and that belief inside first before you can put it out into the world. Mm. So I don't know if you want to um, comment on that, but um, it was just, for me, that was super powerful. Um, and uh, yeah. Well, I think the way that I look at it, it's just the same thing. Like you got, you got to do it to make you feel like you said what's in your heart. Now, the thing is there's a perspective of doing it with the intention of, of angering other people. And it's also the intention of like, here's my thoughts. I hope it adds to it. And I, and I apologize if it hurts you. I'm not trying to intention, but here's my thoughts. We'll call it. The thing is, if you put something out on social and you say what's PC or just what everybody else says, well, you know you lied. Now, you have a post up that you know is existing. It's somewhere in the ether that you just in, internally can, can't get congruent with. And there's a, there's a little part of you dies, man. And I don't like having those little parts of me die. Now, I'll express myself. I'm in a place of joy. And there are definitely some people I don't agree with. But I don't, I don't make them feel like they're less than or horrible because they don't believe in my belief. I just said mine. And then what I find is this, is when somebody starts to attack me because of the belief that I said I shared, without me personally attacking them, I find that it's not even usually them, how to explain it? Like they're usually attacked because they feel attacked because I am not in line with them. They view me not being in line with them as an actual attack on them, which is a very interesting thing. It's a placement of an action where an inaction existed. Like, I don't agree with you but I'm not saying you suck. I'm just saying I'm over on my side and you're saying, well, if you're not on my side, you're the enemy. That's a really tough way to live. Cause then 
if someone doesn't agree with you, now they're in opposition, they're your enemy. Well, then how are you supposed to improve? Because when you're in that position, an enemy you won't listen to. Whereas for me, I love that opposite belief. And if you don't believe in that, why? I'd love to know why. Like share with me because now I can learn. And maybe it, maybe it pivots me or changes some way that I believe because I find that I'm not perfect. The people who, who will not listen to somebody else, there's a weird thought in their head of they're, they're right and they're perfect. It's like, dude, you're not perfect. If you assume that, you're missing out on so much of the world, so much enlightenment, so many things that can change the way your, your relationship operates or the way that you care about yourself. And so, yeah, like I think the actions we take and expression we should have, it needs to be what's true to you. Because here's a couple of other truths. The world forgets quickly. It is like you can say something, but it's mad. But next week, no one's going to remember anything you said unless it was super bad. But usually it's not. Right. So no one's going <laughs> to remember. Other part of it is like if I just do me, there's going to be people that, that do this. If, if somebody knows my heart enough to hate me, that means somebody knows my heart enough to love me. And I'm cool with that. Cause that, cause typically there's so many people that don't play clear. So no one knows if they should love or hate them that they're just, it's a wash. So I, here's me, I'm gonna put this line down. Here's my land in the sand. I'm on this side. If you're over there, it's cool. I don't mind you being over there, but it's where I'm at. And then some people are like, I hate you. Okay, go, go find people that you love to hang out with. But then all the people who are looking for someone like you, your flags in the air and now they can be around you. So it's almost like getting that disdain or anger in fact creates more love because mm-hmm. more people now see where your heart's at. Mm-hmm. No, that's so true. And, you know, and the thing is, and, and you said that, like, you know, if you're open, even if you don't agree with someone, what someone says, if you're open to hear what they have to say, that diversity and experiences and beliefs, and, you know, that's what can create real change out, yeah. out in the world and really make a huge impact, you know, because just because you don't agree with what someone's saying, they might have a perspective that you never even thought of. Always. And it's like, that's where innovations and, and creativity and real change that we need can come from. So, yeah. So that video, that video was a, a big thing for me. I was like, wow, that's so powerful. <laughs> so, um, so I just have one last, well, actually, if you were to give people um, three things, just three real quick things that yep. they could start doing that would help them to either discover if they have, um, or, or either discover if they have those identity gaps or to start making that shift. Just yeah. really simple things. What would they be? Um, well, one thing is you can go to slowergo.co and take the, uh, the quiz. I have a quiz that'll actually give you a, it's a quadrant, slower go quadrant, and allows you to figure out what of four identities you are. Because either you're a dreamer, you're a dabbler, a defender, or you're one of five levels of a doer. And when you figure out which one you are, it'll clarify for you where to go. And then in that, I actually give you a couple of videos that show you, like, and tell you, like, what you should do based on where you're at. Because some people are in certain spots that the information you need is different from other positions. So when you know where you're at and how you got there, we'll call it, now you can figure out where to go. Uh, some true action somebody can start doing is, is simply, like, look at life. Like, I don't want to give you full courses and structure, but here's a, a simple way in the moments to look at things. I tell people you need to take like a seven second rule at your life because the, the goal for us all is to have better moments in the future than we have now. And what I do now will determine whether or not those future moments are better. And so I, I tell people there's a rule that I use. It's called the seven second rule. Things are going to happen in our life. Typically, they're way outside of our plans. Good or bad, they just happen. And if they're bad or if they're good, give yourself seven seconds to deal with it, like just to consume it. And if it's negative, give yourself seven seconds to just stew on it. And then after those seven seconds, you have to make a decision. 
of what you're going to go seek. And you can choose to seek a solution or you can choose to seek an excuse. The problem is you'll find exactly what you go seeking. If you go and seek an excuse, lo and behold, they'll pop up everywhere in your life. And you can live with those, but you'll also be living without the thing you want most in life or having better moments. However, if you seek a solution, you find a solution. And it's the seeking of that to, to go and find that that allows you to operate a different space. Because yeah, seven seconds, it sucked. Now let's do something about it. And so if I go find the solution or seek one, I'll find that. And you find that, that that seven seconds becomes a thing of the past. And you don't even feel that way anymore. The big thing I tell people is action ends suffering. Mm. Any, any suffering I have, if I take an action and direction to improve upon it, I'll be great. But you'll never take the action unless you first start seeking solutions. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. All right. I just, I want to be respectful of your time and I'm just, I, this was such a great interview. Um, and so great to meet you, um, face to face. I know. And it's, it's funny you brought up the quadrant framework. That's the framework I remember when you did your presentation and, um, we have a, uh, a common, a common friend who's actually my business mentor too, Mel, um, Abraham, and um, yes, that is something that I learned from Mel with the uh, the frameworks. <laughs> Man, for sure, I learned a lot from him as well. Still do. Yeah, he is awesome. So I have two I have two quick questions for you. First, yeah. one, who are your mentors? My well, oh, it's interesting. I got a few mentors. So I have some direct mentors in different aspects. So I have like marketing mentors, right? So a guy named Todd Brown's a phenomenal guy that I'm I'm learning a lot from. Uh, Brendan's a buddy and a mentor in terms of how he operates and flows. God's a great mentor, my kids, my wife. I think mentor is a person who allows you to see some things and holds you to a higher standard. So in that capacity, there's everybody in my life becomes a mentor because I'm open to it, right? I'm open to feedback and they watch how I operate and I take the information and I update how I operate. I just have to. And if I can do that consistently, I can feel confident leading the charge I lead, but also I'll lead a better life in the same way. Awesome. All right, last question. What are you most grateful for? I am most grateful, 100% my family. I'm most grateful for every, everything in my family, man. This is, uh, you know, grow up in foster care. It's not a normalcy to have your entire, you know, family unit all intact. And I also got divorced. Like, it wasn't a common thing, you know, and then we got back together. So very yeah, great. That's incredible. Yeah, a solid family unit. That, that is for sure what I'm most grateful for. Awesome. Actually, I fibbed. I have one more question. Do it. <laughs> what's your, what's your, what is a big scary goal that you have that scare, like that scares you, makes you nervous, you're working towards it. What is it? Uh, I want to host a, like a, a big network television show. I don't know what, and it could be, it could be like a reality TV show or something like that's the big next one. Cause it's hard to find, uh, to get on those things, especially yeah. after what I'm talking about, like happiness and joy. Like most people want to see chaos and crazy. And so you know, talking to producers, finding out, you know, a, a concept for a TV show, pitching that thing, like all that stuff is not easy to do. Uh, but that's the next big scary goal for me. I'm writing a book too. It's fun like that. that that's kind of scary, but not as scary as like being a host of a show. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. <laughs> well, I can tell you this. My sister and my brother-in-law are both uh, huge Ninja Warrior, American Ninja Warrior fans. And uh, when I told him I was interviewing you, my sister went on. She's like, did you know he was on that? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes, Tanya, I did. I'll let him know. <laughs> well, awesome. So 
How can people find you? How can they learn about, more about you? Yeah, just go to at Anthony Trucks uh, on Instagram or go to anthonytrucks.com. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so very much for joining us today and for this interview. This has been, I have taken so many notes um, and I have so many good quotes from you. I mean, you are just, you are an inspiration. You are, I mean, you inspire me to keep going and to, you know, keep making my impact in the world. But the, the impact that you're making in the lives of others is truly extraordinary. And it just is indelibly on people's souls. So I just, yeah, it's amazing. So thank you. Thank you so much um, for, you know, for doing this and for joining me and joining my listeners. I really, really appreciate it. You're welcome. I'm glad everybody, uh, I hope you guys got something great from it. But yeah, thank you for having me. I seriously had a blast.